Okay, you're listening to Radio Kol This is Mitch Mernick. Thrilled to have in the studio a good friend of Radio Kol for many years, Max Silverstone. Max, welcome to Radio. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, um, what are you doing here in camp this summer? Uh, so, I work on Sevent Musica, um, which is music staff. It's a part of Hofa'a staff, which are the performing arts staff. Um, and basically on music staff, I have a bunch of different things that I do. Um, I teach ukulele, which is one of my favorites. I also teach guitar, do a little bit of drumming, and also songwriting and pickup band. Um, in addition, I'm also uh, there for any kind of performance that we do in camp. Um, I usually play bass guitar, so I work with the camp musicals. Um, and I also do campfires and stuff. And I know Jukulele has been a big favorite of uh, a lot of the campers, and we've had you on more than once yep. with your classes. Tell yep. us a little about that project. Um, so a few summers ago, uh, or really was in the off-season, Miriam sent an email to all the Hofas, and she's like, what do you want to do in camp? And I'm like, I'd love to teach ukulele, but uh, we need to get ukuleles in order to do that. So she ordered ukuleles, um, and then thus ukulele began. Um, and I've worked on it with Milk, who's another uh, music staff member. Um, he was also <laughs> on, a, on the Nakshon project in the past. And we developed like a whole ukulele curriculum where we have songs that we want them to learn. So we have some Jewish songs like um, O Devo Shalom Aleinu and the uh, Navatila Ose Shalom. And then we just have some pop songs like um, Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen and I'm Yours by Jason Mraz. So... Um why why the ukulele? Why is that an important instrument to, to use for this type of project? Um, so what, what's nice about the ukulele is that it's smaller than a guitar and it has less strings, so it's easier for kids to learn, especially the younger Hanichim here at camp. Um, and even though camp feels like it's an eternity, um, we only get overall of maybe four or five hours over the course of the week to actually teach them the instrument. And in those four or five hours, we can get them to know eight chords and be able to play eight different songs. Now, you mentioned the Nachshon project. That yeah. kind of got slipped in there, and that's <laughs> the main reason we're here today. What is the Nachshon project? That is, that is a huge question. Um, so basically, the Nachshon project is a fellowship for North American Jewish college students, and you do it in the spring semester of your junior year of college. And what you do is you go to study at Hebrew University in Mount Scopus in Jerusalem. Um, and in addition to being a full-time student, you also have uh, seminars and you hear from all different kinds of speakers about all different topics in Israel, about what it's like to be a Jew in Israel, about leadership in North America. That's one of the big uh, things that they have. Um, and we also do, once a week, we do Torah study. Um, in a Beit Midrash, we go to Pardes uh, Institute of Jewish Studies. Um, and we also do uh, Shabbatonim. We have one Shabbaton a month where we go around the country and uh, learn about the country and learn about its people. Um, and then basically after the Nakshon Project, you have this amazing opportunity to apply for a grad school fellowship where if you do a graduate program that gives you a degree to work in um, the North American Jewish field, they'll give you $30,000 a year towards your grad school tuition. Um, and they'll also have like conferences and meetings and support. Um, oh, and one thing I forgot to mention is that the semester in Israel that you do at Hebrew, it's totally free. It's paid for by the Nakshon Project, 
Um, there's no cost that you have to pay f- to them. They pay for your full tuition, which is awesome. Just fantastic. So, so you actually spent this past year in Israel, or you're going to be going uh, to Israel? It was this past semester I was in Israel. It's just the spring semester, not the whole year. And and what what kinds of how did you spend your time? What kinds of was it mainly classwork or field um, work? So it was really everything. Um, so like we were, I was a full time student at Hebrew University. So I took four classes. I took Hebrew, Ivrit. Um, I took Marriage and Sexuality in Ancient Judaism with Jason Rogoff, who also works here at Camp Ramaz, our scholar in residence. Um, I took a class on Jewish and non-Jewish rescue and relations in the Holocaust with Professor David Silverklang, who is a senior researcher at Yad Vashem. So he like really knew what he was talking about. And it was a very interesting class. Um, and I took a class on the architecture of Jerusalem um, with an architect named Abraham Silver, yeah, Abraham Silver, who lives in Tel Aviv, but he comes in once a week to teach us about uh, the architecture of Jerusalem. And it also involved a lot of field trips. So that's what I do at Hebrew U. In addition, the Nachshon project, we had about 20, although it could vary, about 20 hours a week of Nachshon program, maybe like 15. Um, and basically every Sunday we'd have programming for the whole day. Um, we'd either go on trips or we'd hear from speakers. Um, every Tuesday afternoon we were at Pardes. Um, we would do two hours of Beit Midrash study um, in like all these different classes. And then we'd eat dinner and then we'd have a Shior, a shior Klali, um, which is like a learning session with everybody where they'd bring in a speaker to teach about some topic. Um, and then on Wednesday mornings we'd also um, have an hour and a half of Nachshon programming where we'd either hear from another speaker or do some kind of processing session to talk about what we've been uh, doing before that. Well, it really does sound like a special, uh, a fantastic program. And um, we're here with Max Silverstone uh, here on the Music Civet yep. in Camp Ramon, the Berkshires. Uh, and I know you're a junior at Brandeis. Yes. And what are you studying there? Uh, I'm double majoring in music and Nejis, N-E-J-S, that's Near Eastern and Judaic Studies. And the Nakshon Project, now that must be over many universities, not just Brandeis, am I correct on that? Uh, Yeah, basically one thing that I forgot to mention is that um, there are always 40 people who do it every year, although this past year was 41. Um, And basically like you build a cohort um, and it's people from all different universities around North America. And also, um, they try to get people from different summer camps around North America, too. So I met people from, I think, every Ramah camp and a bunch of URJ camps and some B'nai Akiva camps and even some other uh, camps. And, and it's not, I mean, are all, not, not all the participants are musically oriented, no. correct? It's no, no. Um, but what's nice is that like we're all very diverse within our interests so I had a few friends who were um, song leaders at their camps um, and then I had friends who were interested in other topics Um, I was also very into photography and I'd like go out with some friends some nights just to take pictures of the city Um, what were some other interests Um, we had a lot of foodies on our trip Uh, there were some great Instagram posts of some of the foods that you could find all around Israel which was very nice um, and we also had people from all different kinds of Jewish denominations. Um, so we had like Reform Conservative Orthodox and some Reconstructionists, and even some people who were just like secular Jews who might not be interested in uh, the like religious prayer part of Judaism, but were interested in learning about Israel um, or other uh, Jewish topics. How, how many years have you been here at Camp Ramah? 
Um, so I was a chanich, I was a camper for all eight summers, and now this is my fourth on Tzevet. And uh, your, your life has, has brought you to music, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little, what, what are some of the nice things about being on music staff here? Um, well, getting to work within the larger framework of Sevet Hofa is great because we do a lot of collaboration. Like, as Mitch was saying, as you were saying before, um, we would put the Jukulele kids on the radio, um, and the kids love to do that. Um, also, we work with the dance people, and every Friday night before Kabbalat Shabbat, like before Shabbat actually starts, we'll play music. Um, the music staff will, like, play the music, and then the dance staff will work with some Chanechim, some of the campers, to do a dance that uh, fits the music. Um, and we also work in the theater program. We, um, we, like, I play music in the pit band for all the shows. Um, so it's been very nice to be able to collaborate with other um, parts of Hofa'a. Um, and then just the music team in general, working with Deborah and Milk um, and Kendra Chesler and Phil and then Josh and Benji sometimes. Um, we do like, we teach different classes and we, we do the Zimriyaz, our biggest thing every summer where we teach music that all of everyone in camp sings. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a good time. Really, uh, for radio, it's been a great, uh, it, it's been a great benefit for us to be part of the Hofa'a staff. The interdepartment collegiality and for instance uh, having you and and other classes coming in and doing music here a little later we're going to have Ghana Haverim for Shabbat so looking forward to that so getting back to the Nachshon project which really seems to have uh, had a significant impact on you what uh how long has this project been going on? Do you know? Um, so yeah, it's actually a pretty new project. Um, it happens like it happens every spring where the actual project happens. Although they spend the rest of the year like recruiting and interviewing and whatever. But I was in cohort four of the Noxion project, so it's only been going on for four years. Um, Milk, who's on music staff with me, he was on the original cohort, um, and then also Ramah Berkshire sent uh, Emily Rebenstock was in cohort two, and Max Hirsch was in cohort three. Um, we've had one person from Rabat Berkshire's each year in the cohort. Um, so it's the fourth year, um, so it's still like a very new program. Um, but that being said, like the amount of experience um, that I felt like was in the program was just incredible. A lot of the speakers that we had, like they, they come speak to the program every year because after doing it the first year, they just loved um, getting to work with us on the cohort. Um, and they, they love working with the Nakshon Project. Um, and I know now they're in the middle of recruiting for cohort five, and I know I've talked to some of the Tzavet here, even some Chanechim I've talked to about it, who can do future cohorts. Um, and for anyone who's thinking about uh, applying, like, please do. It's, it's a fantastic experience. There's really no reason not to apply. Um, I definitely recommend doing it, and I know it's going to keep, uh, it's going to continue into the future. Now, uh, that, that's definitely uh, a great message for people. What if someone wants to support this project it certainly i'm sure it takes funds how, how, how would one contribute how, who supports yeah. this and how would one become a part of of supporting wonderful young people like you going and taking advantage of this fantastic program so interestingly enough you actually they, uh, they don't accept donations it's all funded by the legacy heritage fund um, which is a Jewish organization that funds programs like these that are about uh, Jewish leadership and strengthening the Jewish community. Um, but basically, the Legacy Heritage Fund um, they get their money from like from the people who run the organization themselves, and they have enough, and they don't 
uh, they don't ask for any more. But what you can do to help is um, just to talk to other people about it and just to make more people aware of it so that they know to apply for it. Because it's a new program, so because it's only been going on for four years, um, not everybody knows that it exists, but I'm sure that there are more people that the Noxion Project isn't reaching who could totally be a good fit for the program, but they don't know about it, so they don't apply for it. Is the, who's the director uh, of this wonderful program? Um, so it's a four-person team that runs it. Um, so there are two rabbis who are kind of the co-directors, Rabbi Josh Cohen and Rabbi Todd Zeff. Um, and everyone who runs it, they're all originally from America, but they uh, live in Israel now. So Rabbi Cohen's and Rabbi Zeff um, have experience as camp directors and as pulpit rabbis. Um, and they, uh, they like do the interview process, and they're kind of like at the front of the program. In addition, there are two other people, Mary First Homa and Batsheva Gross, who actually just uh, had a baby two days ago, so Mazel Tov Batsheva. Um, and they kind of run the logistics of it. Uh, Mary is also a photographer, um, so she takes like pictures of us. She, we get headshots at the beginning of the semester, and then we can use them like for other things, which I just think is awesome. Um, and then Batsheva works mainly towards the grad school part of the project basically after you do your semester in Israel you can apply for the grad school fellowship um, and the logistics of that um, is done uh, with with Batsheva. Fabulous. Why is it called the Nachshon project? That is a really good question. So there is a midrash. Um, basically a midrash is like a text that kind of answers questions of what's missing in the Torah. So there's a midrash that as the Jews were leaving Egypt uh, they got to the Red Sea and um, unlike the way that it's glorified, kind of like in the movie The Prince of Egypt, like Moses was having a hard time splitting the Red Sea. Um, and there was one person whose name was Nachshon ben Aminadav, Nachshon the son of Aminadav. And he takes a step into the Red Sea. And then he keeps walking, he walks further and further and further into the Red Sea. And it's still sitting there. It hasn't split yet. And like the Egyptians are coming from the back and the Israelites are like freaking out that the Egyptians are going to get them. Um, and then finally, Nachshon, once his face goes under the underwater and he can't breathe anymore, then the Red Sea splits. And basically what this Midrash tells us is that you should have faith even in the last moment. Um, you should never lose faith because if you keep trying, it will gradually, um, it will gradually happen. Um, and basically, Nachshon now, he's like seen as the leader. He was the leader that he was the first one to take the plunge into the water, just like how the people in Nachshon Project were the future leaders of North American Jewry. So, Max, uh, what does the future hold for you going forward the next couple of years, and how has your participation in the Nachshon Project kind of... Uh, flavored the direction you think you're going to be taking um so basically i'm hoping to go to cantorial school at the hl miller cantorial school at the jewish theological seminary in new york um and in general from Nachshon, um they want people who are interested in jewish professions but might not know where they want to go to so they expose you to many different types of grad school opportunities um in the u.s and in in north america um, so yeah, I want to go to cantorial school, but after going on the Nachshon project, I also um, decided that I want to pursue a, a master's in Jewish education from the Davidson School, also at JTS, which you can do like while you're in cantorial school. Um, and I'm really hoping to get the grad school fellowship because I know it'll be a huge help in uh, in paying for that. Wow, what a what a uh, fabulous fabulous program! Kol uh, kavod to the organizers and creators of the Nachshon Project and 
the funders, the, the legacy, what legacy is it? heritage fund. And kolakavod to you, Max, for coming here to camp. You're so great with the kids. Good friend of radio, and uh, always appreciate that. And if um, anything, I've got to ask you, or anything you want to add? Um, yeah, just like a few things that uh, just didn't get in there. Um, another thing that you do um, after the Nakshon project is you have to bring something back uh, to your campus and to your summer camp. So basically, you do like a program in each that uh, talks something something related to Jewish education or really something related to Israel specifically. So in, um, in camp, uh, either in the next week or two, I'm going to do a program with Gesher, which is our oldest day da, where I teach about uh, two songs, Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, which I think a lot of people are familiar with, and Yerushalayim Shel Barzel, Jerusalem of Iron, which I think less people are familiar with. Um, and basically these two songs paint like a very different picture of the same Jerusalem. Um, so I'm going to talk about the lyrics of those songs and like the history of them and what those lyrics mean. And I'll also talk about my own experience in Jerusalem, and then I'll give an opportunity to the Hanichim to um, to think about what they think their uh, their uh, version of Jerusalem really looks like. Um, so that's what I'm going to do on camp on in camp as my Nakshon project, and then on campus for my Nakshon project. Um, what they do is they give us a budget to run our project, which is very helpful. So on campus, I'm going to use my budget to bury a bunch of old books that we have. Basically, when you have a sacred text. Um, or a text with God's name on it, you're, you're not supposed to throw it out. You're supposed to bury it. So we have hundreds of old cedarim at Brandeis that need to be buried, but we don't have the funding for it. So I'm going to use the funding from Nachshon to bury the books, and then I'll do an educational event um, around it that talks about sacred texts um, and about the texts that we're burying um, and also about burial, the, the subject of Jewish burial itself, because I find it very fascinating. So as, as we're continuing to speak with Max Silverstone about the Nachshon project, so, so Max, uh, so, ha- so you were in Israel for a semester. How, how long was that, actually? Um, so it was five months. It was the middle of January until the middle of June. And uh, what, what was, uh, so you were, what's, what, what's going on with Masorti Judaism in, in Israel? What, what's the, uh, the Matzav, if you will, or... Well, what's the feeling? What's happening over there? Yeah, so basically uh, Masorti is like the name for conservative Judaism uh, outside of North America. Um, so Masorti Judaism in Israel is uh, very small, unlike in the United States. Um, and unfortunately, it's not recognized by the government. So the government will uh, fund uh, more traditional like Orthodox uh, schools and synagogues, but they won't do it for Masorti uh, Judaism, which I think is very unfortunate because Israel really should be a place for all Jews. Um, and that's just not uh, how the government is really running it right now. Um, but my experience, I had a pretty good experience um, with it. There was a Masorti shul that was five minutes from the dorms, um, which were in the French Hill neighborhood. It was called The shul was called Remotzion. Uh, and I went there every week for Shabbat when I was uh, in the dorms for Shabbat. I was away a lot. Um, and I really felt like I was a part of their community. I, was, I went to Shabbat dinner at a lot of the congregants' homes. Um, and I also joined their a cappella group, which was just awesome because I really missed singing while I was um, away from the Brandeis Chorus and while I was away from the Camp Makela. Um, and then uh, another thing is that there's an egalitarian section of the Kotel, um, and it was generally empty. Um, and when I went, I was usually the only person there. So I tried to go as often as I could to make sure that there was um, always somebody there who uh, represented the values that um, the space was really designed for. Uh, this, of course, uh, has been a 
controversial and uh, contentious yeah. issue. So uh, let me let me just ask you um, why? Uh, wh- where is the egalitarian section right now at the Kotel? Um, so it's south of the main plaza. Um, it's called the Ezrat Yisrael Plaza. If you walk in through the Dung Gate, it's on your right before you actually make it into the main plaza. Or if you go down those steps, you kind of like go straight past the bus stop where uh, the number one and the number three bus go and you keep going down more steps. And instead of making a left to the security of the main plaza, you make a right and then there will be like a gate and a sign that says Ezra Israel. And then um, there are steps after you go down the gate that take you to the to the prayer platform. So on the most recent news cycles, uh, you know, we haven't heard much about that issue of uh, the egalitarian section and where it should be. Yeah. Are, are, are people generally satisfied right now with that section being put aside for egalitarian worship? Well, I mean, right now it's just kind of on the side because we know the main platform is the main platform. Um, but the truth is, like, it's there and, like, you build one platform in one place and one in the other place. Right now the whole controversy is that it's a very small platform. It only fits about 450 people as opposed to the main plaza, which I think can fit tens of thousands. Um, and there was a plan made a few years ago that was made in conjunction with um, the Masorti movement and the Reform movement in Israel and some other um, egalitarian Jewish movements along with the Jewish Agency for Israel and the Israeli government to rebuild the platform so it'll be much larger and to designate it so that only egalitarian Jews are allowed there because right now anyone's allowed to go so well, I uh, I go there a lot of the times and people from the uh, yeshivot nearby in the old city would actually bring their own machitza and just put it up in the middle of the platform and then um, if I was there with like a female friend like we could no longer stand together but you said that often you'd be the only one there so so what's so it's hard to understand well, if there's so much concern and, and fighting or if there's so much concern you know the the fact whether it's small or big or not small it looks like it's underutilized or so one could make the case that really no one cares about it yeah um and it's unfortunate but it is kind of true basically i probably went there around 25 times i'm guessing and i'd say one third of the time i was the only one there one third of the time there were people from the local yeshivot who brought a machitza and daven there and one third of the time there were tour groups there either birthright groups or other groups and technically they're not supposed to be there but because nobody was davening there like the tour guides were like oh i'll take my group there because it's not actually going to disturb anyone um so it was kind of different every time i went like what was going on there um, but and these these were times that there were a lot of people at the yeah at, at and the, yeah, the main, standard main yeah the main section. plaza always has a lot of people um, no matter what time of day um, and it's like Jews and even tourists who just go to see it because it is just an incredible sight to see um, but in terms of the people who actually use the platform um, it's unfortunate that um, there's only a small number of Jews in Israel who are um, reform or conservative but are also involved um, Jewishly basically what you see in Israel there's a big divide where a lot of people are um, observant Jews and they um, they lean more like orthodox and more traditional and they daven with the mechitza or you see a lot of secular Jews who just don't really care at all and the like kind of reform and conservative Jews who are uh, who are observant and who are interested in, into it um, they're kind of like caught in the middle and it's a very small number 
Um, I think there's only 30-something Masorti shuls throughout all of Israel versus 500-something conservative shuls in the United States. So other than uh, davening and populating the uh, egalitarian section of uh, the Kotel, how, how did you spend free time there? I assume you had some free time. It wasn't yeah. all classwork. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. There was a lot of knock show and programming and a lot of class time. But, yeah, there were other things I did in my free time. Um, so one thing I did, there was another program that I got involved with at Hebrew University. It was called the RRG Beit Midrash Program, the Rabbi Reuven Grodner Beit Midrash Program. And it was at the Hebrew University Hillel. Every Monday night from 6 to 9, um, they would invite a speaker to um, talk about a whole range of topics like politics, technology, science, travel, um, just a whole range of topics. And then we would uh, spend time studying uh, like Beit Midrash. We do Beit Midrash study afterwards. And there was also free dinner every week, which was awesome. Usually like bagels or pasta, and it was very good. Um, and I had a chavruta. His name's Yehuda Simon. Shout out to Yehuda. Um, he's originally from Chicago, but he lives in Israel now, and he would also come every week. Um, because he lives in the same neighborhood as uh, one of the rabbis who ran the program, Rabbi Yonatan Yudrin. Um, and I would study with him every week um, in this Beit Midrash program. Um, some of the other things I did in my free time, I did a lot of photography around the city. Um, you can follow my Instagram at MaxSilv507, and you can see my pictures um, from Israel and just other pictures I've taken. Um, and in addition to that, there was also one time that I actually... Uh, I went flying with Avia Morag, who's one of the Hebrew teachers here at Machaner Ramava Berkshires. Um, he has a little single-engine propeller plane and a private pilot's license. And we went flying over Israel, and it's really there's nothing I've done in my life that can compare to it. It was absolutely incredible to see Israel from above. Um, we did a 360 around the old city, and I got some incredible photographs that um, you just see it in ways that you've never seen it before. Um, and it's especially cool to see it um, when you think about um, what makes up Jerusalem and how like it's the ho it's one of the big homes for the three monotheistic religions. And you can take a picture of the old city and you see like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Dome of the Rock and the Herva Synagogue, all three of those domes, all in one picture. It's really an incredible thing to see. Do you have these up online? Could people see them um, by any chance? I have them on my Instagram. Um, and do you know could Koroma upload them? Possibly. Uh, well, maybe, maybe we, uh, well, we, uh, <laughs> well, we could certainly upload one picture yeah. if you like. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so we'll do, I, I think we'll I see if we could do upload. that. Yeah. Um, well. Uh, I also have them on my Facebook, if you're friends with me yeah, on Facebook. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. And what about, um, did you, did you get to spend any of the Chagim over there in Israel? Um, oh, yes. Holidays in Israel are, they're awesome. Um. So some of the holidays we had, um, some of the big celebratory days were Purim, um, Yom Hatzmut, which is really Independence Day, and Yom Yerushalayim, which is a day that celebrates um, when the Israeli army um, kind of like retook East Jerusalem and specifically the Old City. Um, it is a very controversial day for a lot of people, but at the same time in the streets there were a lot of people celebrating. Um, and during all three of those days, like, the light rail through the center of town would just shut down and everybody would be on that street, Yafo Street, where the light rail runs. And they'd be out partying, waving flags, um, spraying shaving cream. That's always a big thing. They'd have, like, flashing lights and there would be stages set up all around the city with live music. Um, and it was a really good time. 
Um, some of the other important days that I was also in Israel for were Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaShoah, which is Israeli's memorial day for fallen soldiers and for people who died in terror attacks. And Yom HaShoah is for people who died in the Holocaust. Um, and during those days, it's like a more solemn mood. Um, and there would also be a siren at the beginning of the day, at, basically at night, because like a Jewish day kind of starts at night. So there would be a siren that night and also the morning of where everybody in the country would stop for a minute and just like stand and observe a moment of silence for those um, who perished, um, who were being recognized during that day. Um, the last big holiday that I want to talk about is Pesach. Um, I had off for Pesach and during that time my parents were able to fly in from New York to visit me um, and we went out around the country during that time. Um, and experience Israel and Pes Pesach in Israel is just, it's very different than Pesach in the U.S. because the whole country kind of takes like this different gear um, where like a bunch of restaurants close but then reopen being kosher for Pesach um, and it's very very easy to find like kosher for Pesach food because you know it's Israel um, and I also went to Seder at a Masorti Shul in Ramat Aviv which is like a neighborhood in the north of Tel Aviv um, that uh, Rabbi Cohen for the National Project helped me find and by total coincidence one of my friends Eric Lederman was there um, if you're a Korama listener, you probably know Eric Lederman. He worked in the studio for how many years? Four years? Uh, he was years. here for a number of years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he uh, was designated as a finalist for the, for the best social media director of a radio station by the wow. intercollegiate broadcasting system. I just want you to know that. Yeah. So actually, while he was in Israel, he was there for the year uh, at the conservative yeshiva. Um, and I think he did some social media work with them, too. Um, so he was like a full-time student at conservative yeshiva, um, and I also probably hung out with him at least 15 times, including, um, by total coincidence, being at the same past Pesach Seder as him. Um, so yeah, that's how I did my holidays. And uh, so what, what does the future hold for you? Um, so my next Israel trip, I'll actually be going to the conservative yeshiva this winter break for their uh, winter break program called Ta'umu Uru, Taste and See. Um, it's a two-week-long two program. Um, where you get to like study there and kind of learn, um, learn about it. And uh, it's for people from all different backgrounds, like some who have been in a yeshiva environment before, some who haven't. Um, and what's nice is that they pay, they reimburse you for your flights. Um, so it's a very cheap program. It's another great way to get to Israel for cheap, just like the Noxion Project is free. This is also um, low cost, which is nice. Um, so I'll be there for two weeks. Um, and afterwards, I'm going to be going back um, I'm going to go to Tel Aviv and s spend a night with Avia, and we're going to try to go flying again, and I can try to get more pictures. That's great, Max. Well, I I'm so glad you shared this with us. Just fantastic to know what you're doing. Fantastic uh, to, to have you here. It's so great for our listeners. If, if you might be a person of the right age, college-age student, I assume. Yeah, might e even if you're not the right age, like... If you're younger and will be once the right age, um, like you, you, you can start thinking about it now. Like it's never really too early to start thinking about it. And if you're uh, someone uh, of a few more years, like myself, you may have a child or a grandchild, yeah, and you definitely want to tell yeah. them to listen to this podcast on callramad.us because uh, there's a lot to go by. So if someone were interested in the Nachshon project in particular, yeah. how would they? 
get their hands on that information and maybe you can give your contact yeah. information um great so there's a website i think it's the nachshon yeah the nachshonproject.com nachshon is spelled n-a-c-h-s-h-o-n the nachshonproject.com um and you create an account on the website and you can look on the website and it gives you more information about the program um, and then you can also apply it will also have the contact information to talk to the people who run it rabbis cohen and zeph and Miriam Batsheva. Um, they also go around to various um, summer camps and universities and even high schools now to, uh, to recruit. Um, so keep your eyes peeled out for that if you think they might be coming to like your Hillel or your camp. Um, you can definitely talk to people. If you know people who are in previous cohorts, definitely talk to them. Um, I'm always around. If you want to talk to me, you can email me at maxsilverstone507 at gmail.com. You can also just find me on Facebook, send me a message. I'm glad to talk with you. Um, if you're interested, I'm, I'm glad to meet with you, tell you all about it, show you pictures, tell you stories. Um, and I really could not say this more, like how much I would recommend this program. It's truly a one-of-a-kind program. Um, and you should definitely apply for it. Um, unfortunately, not everyone gets it. It's a limited amount, but, you know, it's, it's always worth a shot, especially, like, it's a free semester. Um, which is just amazing in and of itself. Add all the programming on top of it. Um, it's a it's a truly incredible experience. It is competitive to. Uh... Um, it's basically becoming more and more competitive every year, just because it's a new program. So as it becomes older and older, more and more people know about it, which means that more and more people apply. But they always try to limit it to forty people um, each each year. Max Silverstone, thanks for joining us here at Radio Call Ramah. Thank you for having me.